Well, again, I want to welcome you here to the Olathe campus of, of Christ Community Church. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, it's great to, to be together as we continue to, to center ourselves around this, this ancient story, uh, one that we uh, have gathered around as a people for 2,000 years um, in celebration of this God who is with us, Emmanuel, who comes um, and who continues to come into our lives. So let me, let me pray for us, uh, and we'll look at these words, these ancient words of, of Zechariah this morning. Let me pray. God, we, uh, we come here um, like Zechariah, uh, eager for you to, to act, eager for you to rescue, to be active in our lives and in our world. Lord God, we, we need you. And so God, I, I pray that even from these words written so long ago that where, where, where Zechariah, he, he describes your coming, Lord Jesus, as the sunrise in the dark. God, I, I pray that you would come into our lives in the same way and that we would trust you with joy, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it was our first year uh, of marriage. Uh, and so the jury was still out, um, uh, particularly on, on how much we, we actually trusted one another. Uh, and I, I had the, the brilliant idea, uh, hey, honey, uh, for our first vacation together, we should really climb a mountain. And I even remember like trying to sell it to her. I'm, I'm almost certain I used the word romantic, um, which, you know, it's just kind of a joke, honestly. Uh, and not just, not just any mountain, uh, this mountain, Long's Peak. It's the, the highest point in, in Rocky Mountain National Park. Thought it was a, thought it was a great idea. Uh, and, and, you know, she agreed because she really just didn't know what she was getting herself into. Um, and really, I didn't either, um, looking, looking back. Uh, in fact, they did a little research this week in that, uh, on average, two people die every year hiking Long's Peak. Uh, so that was exciting. Uh, thank you, Wikipedia. Um, and thank you even more, Wikipedia, for not existing uh, back then, because uh, that, that, that may have stopped us. Um, now, now there, were, there, there were definitely some arguments along the way, uh, more than a few tears, and a handful of, I really think we should turn back kind of conversations. I'm pretty sure she meant the hike not our marriage. Um, but fear and exhaustion, right? It does, it does pretty crazy things uh, in, a, in an environment like that. And yet, uh, yes, we, we made it to the top. Uh, round trip, it took us, it took us 14 hours. Uh, and we began the hike at, at 2 a.m. You have to begin to get off the rock before the lightning comes and strikes you down. Um, and so you start super early. And so if you can imagine, right, put yourself in that situation. That's a, about three, maybe four hours of strenuous hiking in pitch black. I mean, they always, they always tell you to, you know, watch out for bears in that area. Uh, but the nice part about hiking at night, uh, when bears are most active, uh, is that you can't watch out for them, right? You just can't do it. You can't see them. Uh, but you know they're, they're looking out for you. Um, and so all we had, you know, the flashlight and whatever, whatever gear we had, but that, that was it to sort of see on this rocky, steep, and fairly treacherous terrain. And it was, it was dark, dark dark. And the reality is, dark makes everything worse, doesn't it? I mean, dark just makes everything harder, makes everything just a, a little bit scarier. I mean, kids, you're not, you're not the only people here who are afraid of the dark. That's just the reality of it. Every one of us has found ourselves in a situation made twice as hard by the night, haven't we? Uh, the, the nights maybe that you thought would never end. Right? You, I'm sure you've experienced some of those. Nate's been sitting in the ER, um, 
maybe waiting for a child to come home or hoping that their breathing would get a little bit better, their cough would go away. Uh, that, that long nightmare, maybe, maybe just a long drive by yourself, and you just thought, man, this, is this night ever going to be over? We, we've all found ourselves in those spots, maybe just tossing and turning, wishing for better news. The darkness makes us feel alone. It makes us feel vulnerable. And, and the reality is we, we feel that, that same darkness all over our, our world, don't we? And we feel it in our own disappointments, uh, the, the experiences that we've had, the things that have, that have let us down. Uh, we see it in our, own, in our own regrets, right? We know uh, the darkness. I mean, even in the best of circumstances, life so often feels like a steep, perilous climb anyway. And then turn out the lights. And I know that for some of you right now, you feel like you are stuck in the middle of a night that will never end. And I think that is exactly what it felt like for these first century Israelites. Waiting, longing. I mean, they, by this point in Israel, they had endured 400 years of silence. And they, they're people with, with tradition, with, with, with history, right? And so they, they'd heard all the great stories about God. I mean, the kind of stuff that legend is made of, but they hadn't seen any of it. Sounds familiar, Right? So many stories, so many promises, so long ago. And now there are people in the dark, oppressed, terrible injustice all around them, carving out their own miserable existence. I mean, for them, it was always winter, but never Christmas. Always a sleepless night, and never the morning. View exhibit A, Zechariah. We, we talked a little bit about his story a couple weeks ago when we began Luke chapter 1, and here he, he pops into our story again. And so in the story a couple weeks ago, an angel appears to him and, and tells him that his old barren wife is going to give birth to a child as a sign that the dawn was finally beginning. And what's he do? Let me think about it. He's a priest in the temple talking to an angel. And his response is, you're going to have to prove it to me. And honestly, I can't blame him, right? I mean, who wouldn't be cynical after that much disappointment? When, when you've been in the dark that long, it's hard to even imagine what the sun would feel like. And that's, that's the place that Zechariah is in. And, and you and I, when we're in the, in the dark, I mean, we will, we'll fumble for just about anything, right? Uh, a flashlight, a cell phone, anything to give us just a little bit of, of clarity, a little bit of, of, of comfort. But in those long, dark nights, what we need most is for the sun to rise. And that's exactly what Zechariah says is about to happen in our world. That, that is happening even now. I mean, sure, he, he started off cynical, right? And it, again, it's hard, hard to blame him for that. But he's had nine months now to think. And his son, in the story we're looking at today, in the, the song that follows, his, his son is now born. This, this sign, right? But the, the darkness 
is beginning to lift, and Zechariah sings a song of hope. Patrick read it for us this morning. Let me just read the very last part of it. Here's what he says. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see, Jesus comes like a sunrise after an endless night. And the same is is true for us today. As we wait, as we long in the darkness that we so often experience, no matter how dark it feels, the sun will rise. For the night is nearly over. And when the sun begins to rise, when Jesus begins to break into our lives and into our world, we see more clearly, we fear less deeply, and we walk more purposefully. That's this story. I gotta tell you, I hope that it can be our story, my story. Now, in some ways, it just seems absolutely like the most obvious thing in the world, right? We, we live through every single day the sun rising. We see it, we experience it, and we know that when the sun begins to rise, it's obvious, we see more clearly. And so go to this, this story where we're at in, in chapter one. So uh, we left Zechariah a couple weeks ago literally struck speechless by this angel. He wasn't, the angel wasn't particularly amused uh, by his cynicism in that moment. So he's had nine months of silence, un, unable to speak. But when this part of the story opens for us, and think about that, they've never been able to have kids. His wife, Elizabeth, is super old, and she's just given birth to a boy. And all of the neighbors family, friends, relatives, I mean, they know what's just happened. They know how ridiculous this is, right? This isn't just some normal situation, not, not in a story like theirs. And so they gather and they celebrate. They know that this is, this is the mercy of God breaking into their lives. And so eight days pass for the family, as is common in their, their culture. And so it's time to give their son his name, which should have been obvious, Right? I mean, what else would you name this miracle baby, right? Their only child, but after their father, his father, the priest, Zechariah. But Zechariah, he's still speechless at this point. And so uh, Elizabeth jumps into the conversation, slows everything. No, 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 no. His name is John. And her family goes berserk. I mean, you would have thought that she had suggested Hitler, for his name, right? I mean, they, they just, they don't have a category for this, but there's nobody, there's nobody in the family named John. Why would you name him John? And so they, they want a second opinion, okay? So they get something to write, you know, because they know that Zechariah is still messed up. They're, they're confused by that, but they bring him something to write down, and, and Zechariah also says, no, his name is John, which just leaves all of them scratching their heads in this moment. And, and for us, I mean, who really cares, right? I mean, we, we name our kids whatever we feel like, right? We, we know some of the names that are popular. I mean, it's just whatever. You know, we just pick what, it doesn't matter, but we've got to put ourselves in, in their world. For them, this, this is a big deal. Because for them, their identity was rooted in their family. 
I mean, for us, our, our identity, for the most part, in our culture is, is based on the individual, right? Our own, our own sense of, of who we are. But for them, it's not it at all. Everything was about your family identity. And so for them, I mean, if you couldn't carry on the family name or pass on your, 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 your property, your land to, to somebody in the family, it was almost as if your life was just meaningless because you had nothing to show for it when you were gone. And some of you, you know, you know the pain of infertility. And so here, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they have struggled in the dark for decades. How many prayers unanswered? And now finally, finally, their son, their heir, their name. And they go with John? Zechariah He knew now what he had missed nine months earlier. He he knew what what the angel had said to him. The angel had told him, name name your your son John, for John, for he will prepare the way for the dawn, for the coming sunrise breaking in upon our world. And even with that tiny glimmer of light, Zechariah, he moves from cynicism to a faith willing to challenge even the most normal parts of their culture. Of their, of their world. It was absolutely normal for him. For him, now in this moment, family identity was no longer the most important thing. That's what Jesus does. For example, um, hiking in the dark. It's really fun. You ought to try it sometime. Um, uh, when, when you're doing that, I mean, all you can see, all you can focus on is one step at a time. That's it, right? Because you're just trying not to trip. You're trying not to, to veer off the path. That is all your world. That's it, right there, one step at a time. But as soon as the sun begins to, to peer over the horizon, you see everything that you've been missing. All, all the beauty. Um, you, see, you see where you've been and, and where, where you're headed. It, it changes everything. And this is what Jesus does. I was blind, but now I see. I I love how C.S. Lewis summarizes this so beautifully. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. When the sun rises, everything looks differently. You, You notice things that you've missed, priorities become realigned, I mean, seeing what they now see, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're willing to buck the norms. If you're a Christian, Jesus isn't just one truth in a long list of truths that you believe. He's not even the most important truth in a long list of truths. He is the truth by whom everything else finds its, its meaning and, and purpose, its, its understanding. He is the lens in which we look through for, for all of life, for all of our world. And when Jesus is our light, we no longer let what's normal decide for us. Because for, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, 
they, they buck the norms of, of, what's, of what's normal, right? What was once so important just doesn't seem quite as important anymore. It makes me wonder in my own situation, my own, my own life, how many of my decisions in life are simply based on what's normal or what's expected. You know, rather on this, this Jesus I, I claim to follow. I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, how busy you are how many activities your kids are involved in, the house that you live in, the car that you drive, the hobbies you choose, how many presents you'll end up buying. Is it because it's normal or because it's best? Even just a couple of examples, right? Like that culture there, we also worship family, don't we? In very, very different ways than they did. And yet, you know, so much of our life, our world, especially here, right, Johnson County, is, is focused on everything on, on family. And it's not that family becomes less important, but what determines what's important in your family? I, I mean, for, for example, I mean, is your goal, is it your desire to have uh, kids who are faithful or successful? Um, happy and healthy or holy? Or even think about this time of year. Man, I get sucked into this one. Because everything around us, everything that's normal says Christmas is about indulgence, right? Uh, stuff and food, right? And I got to tell you, stuff and food are like two of my favorite things. I'm just, I mean, that's, I love it, right? I love the, the, the excuse to be able to indulge, and family. I mean, Christmas is part of that, you know, family and Christmas, I get it. But let's be honest, <laughs> stuff and food, right? And so, I mean, for, for some who are, who are Christians, right, we, some of us tend to get bent out of shape um, as sort of displays of taking Christ out of, out of Christmas, right? And I, I, I get that, except that when I think about that, I just, I look at my own life, and I, if we're honest, for most of us, Jesus is already an afterthought to this time of year. And I'm not, I'm not pointing out there at them, right? This is me. I do this. You know why? It's normal, Christians should be anything but normal. So go back, go back to the story. As soon as Zechariah names his son, John, he can talk, right? So again, the crowds, right? They, it was weird to begin with. Uh, now they're just, they're freaked out by, by what's happened. They know that something unique, something special is, is, is happening here in this moment. And the first words out of Zechariah's mouth are praises to God. And the crowds, they, they, they don't get it. But they do know that they've been given a, a glimpse here in this moment, that the sun will rise for the night is nearly over. And then we get to his song. I kind of imagine that these are the words that he spoke when he first opened his mouth. Maybe not exactly. Luke doesn't tell us exactly what happened there. But think about it. I mean, Zechariah's had nine months to think about what he would say in this moment. Nine months to think about the faith that he had and how he's gotten to this, this place. And the whole first section of his song is about how when the sun begins to rise, we fear less deeply. Look what he says. Let's begin in verse 68. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, listen to this, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Remember, you gotta, you got to put this in its context, right? Of who's writing, who's saying these words. Zechariah is writing from a place of darkness. His people are oppressed. There is suffering and pain all around him, and yet he sees that what God has predicted throughout the Old Testament is finally coming to fruition. He uses words like redemption, salvation, mercy, deliverance. He says that their enemies are no longer going to defeat them forever. And why? Why is God doing all that? so that we might serve him without fear. And even though we're not oppressed like Israel was, and even though we continue to wait, you and I, right? We, we wait for everything that seeks to destroy us to finally be destroyed. And yet even so, the night is nearly over. So don't let fear control you. I wrestled with this a lot this week. Because at first glance, I don't feel like a very feel fearful person. I'm not, a, I'm not a worrier. Maybe that's just because things are fine right now. You know, I don't have as much to worry about. Um, but the more, the more I thought about this and really tried to put myself in this, this story, uh, the more I began to wonder how many, how many of my decisions in life, big ones, small ones, insignificant ones, how many of them are really dictated by fear? Have, have you ever thought about that? I mean, how, how many of your choices, of, of your life, is actually lived out in pursuit of what's safe? I mean, maybe it's the way you vote, save your money, parent your kids. Maybe it's the way you think about your, your health and your health concerns and, and all of that. I mean, we live in a fear-based society, don't we? And often, often for really good reasons. And, and so as, as I thought about this, I thought, for me, I think, I think there are two big fears in my life that so often end up calling the shots in ways that I'm honestly just ashamed to even admit. Um, and for me, those two fears, they're two sides of the same coin. Maybe, maybe yours are, are different, but for me, it's, it's fear of failure and, and fear of rejection. And the more I thought about those fears in my life, the more I began to think, okay, how, how do those affect me? I mean, they, they affect how I treat people, who I value and who I devalue. They affect how, how I work and how much I work. Uh, as well, I mean, how I think about my own appearance, how I dress and, and exercise, the way, I, the way I have expectations on my kids and, and on my wife. It affects how I um, handle criticism and affirmation, as well as the success of others. They, they affect how I perceive you know, my own goodness or, or merit and, and how I am able to, to give and receive Love, they affect the hobbies that I choose and even my vices. You see how messed up I am? I mean, honestly, as I, as I began to, to think through this, it was, I started to think it'd probably be easier to write out the decisions in my life that don't flow out of my fear of those things. I mean, it's, it's all around us. It's everywhere. Listen, I'm, I'm not sure the biggest obstacle to our faith is temptation. I think it might be fear. But when fear 
when it overcomes us, and yet when the sun begins to rise, fear slowly dissipates. How? Well, look at, look at the song. I mean, it's all about God's rescue, his coming rescue, and yes, we're still waiting for the bright fullness of day. You and I, and Zechariah as well, waiting for the bright fullness of day, and yet we know, we see it here, the sun will rise. And like Zechariah, we've got to remind ourselves. And so, so for me, uh, and my fears, I've got to remind myself that because of what Jesus has done on my behalf, the God of the universe, the one who knows me better than I know myself, who sees even the darkest places of my heart, things that I, I don't even want to admit to myself, he sees me, and because of Jesus, he loves me and accepts me. The God of the universe, I mean, so, so who cares what other people think? And, and the idea that his, his love, his approval, is not based on my latest performance evaluation, not, not on what I have done, but what he has done for me on the cross. To, to know that, to ex- even when I fail, that enables me to serve him fearlessly. Like, like it says, right, for all of us, holy and righteous, standing before him all of our days, he says. I mean, do you realize that if you belong to Jesus, you have nothing left to fear? And I, I know how ridiculous that sounds. I know how scary this world is. And I, I know the things that keep me awake at night. And yet, if you are his, the God of the universe looks at you as holy and loved, fully his, and fear. I mean, whatever you fear, in the warm light of Jesus, our Savior, every fear begins to lose its power because we know the night is nearly over. Which really gets us to the last thing here. When the sun begins to rise, we walk more purposefully. Sure, we see more clearly, okay, yeah. Uh, and we fear less deeply, but when Jesus comes, he sets us on a whole new trajectory, an entirely new path. Verse, verse 76, uh, continuing his song, Zechariah says, and you, child, and he, he, at this point he's speaking to his son, John the Baptist, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Light to those who sit in darkness. That's us. Sitting there in our pain and in our sin, aimless and alone. The shadow of death, he says, over us. I mean, think about that metaphor, right? Maybe, maybe it's a familiar one uh, for us, but to stop and think about what that means, the shadow of death, everything you do, everywhere you go, you cannot escape it. There is a shadow cast over you whose name is death. And yet he says that there is a light to guide our feet into the way of peace. And we can't just sit there anymore. A new path demands that we walk with purpose and that we let him take the lead. Friends, don't let what's easy choose your path. I mean, how we love, how I love the path of least resistance, right? It's kind of our default, right? We love, we love to choose the, the easy route, whatever that is, but that, that path never leads to the top of the mountain, right? Right? 
And, and we haven't been given this light, Jesus coming, we haven't been given this light to make sitting in the dark just a little bit more comfortable. So we can just sort of wallow a little bit more easily. Think back to what we've said, what's normal, what's safe, what's easy. That's how we live, isn't it? And so often we willingly choose the dark when such light is offered to us. When the sun rises, everything has to change. In your life, in mine, what, what needs to change? The night is almost over. And I, I know, right? It feels so slow, doesn't it? It kind of feels like it's taken forever. It feels, it feels like with Zechariah, right, peering into the dawn, that we, we too, we're stuck in perpetual dawn, waiting for the full light of day, waiting, waiting for Jesus to fix it all, waiting for him to return. Think about Zechariah. He didn't see any of this. It's kind of depressing to think about, isn't it? He anticipated it all, right? He got this, this glimmer of hope, could see the dawn slowly breaking, but he would have died long before it got exciting. Even his son, John the Baptist, right? Came to, to prepare the way, but he spends much of his life in the wilderness eating locusts, right? And then when he does come on the scene, he starts preaching a really hard message. Essentially, he tells the people, turn or burn, okay? It's, time is coming, he says, and he's beheaded for that message, for his sermon. And even though he prepared the way for Jesus, he was dead long before the climax. I mean, doesn't it seem sometimes as if everybody dies waiting for something? Now, I don't want to spoil the surprise here. But every, every day this week, um, you know, thinking about this metaphor and this passage, I'd, I'd never seen this before in the Christmas story, this, this incredible picture of Jesus coming like a sunrise. And so every, every day this week, I just tried to be mindful of the sunrise, to, to watch as much of it as I can, uh, you know, starting when it was dark, dark, all the way uh, to when it was really, truly light. And you know what? It takes forever. I mean, doesn't it? I mean, if you, it is slow. I mean, from the, the time that it is, it is absolutely dark all the way to the full, full light, it, it, it's so slow. And yet here, here's a simple next step for each of us this morning, something for us to do in response to this story. Watch the sunrise sometime this week. Or at least as much of it as you can or be mindful. I know the mornings are busy and kids and schedules and all that, but just you know, crack open the blinds and be aware from the time when it is dark, dark to when it gets light. And yes, yes, it's slow. But remind yourself, this is, this is what Jesus does. And even though it's slow, think about what it does for our world. The beauty, the warmth, the life-giving power, the, the clarity that it brings, the, the, the promise, the hope of, of a better day, of a, of a new beginning, right? I mean, there's, there's nothing like it. Nothing changes our everything, day in and day out, like that subtle transformation from night to day. And that is exactly what Jesus wants to do in your life and mine. And that is exactly what he intends to do with all of his creation, with, with his entire world. And this, this process, even though it feels so slow, even though it's as if the dawn is still just barely coming up over the horizon, this, is, this process has begun for us. The sun 
will rise. And friends, the night is nearly over.